happening? Welcome to church. How are you guys doing this morning? You good? If you want to, if you want to move in a little bit like this, I think that might not be a bad idea. Kind of like, never mind. Just stay where you're at. I'm not gonna make you move. Hey, um, yeah. Welcome to church this morning. Um, last week uh, at, at Easter was was awesome. Um, we had a great uh, crew of people here. Um, yeah, it just it was a good day at church, and um, we we talked about. In Easter Sunday, we talked. I think I think basically almost all of you were here. Um, we talked about the idea of putting the piece, the puzzle pieces together, and the fact that the apostles, the disciples, the the early followers of Jesus, the very first followers of Jesus, they didn't get it right away, and they weren't afraid to show that. And I think that's important for all of us to know in in all in all areas of faith. If we're struggling in our faith, if we're young in our faith, even if we're old in our faith and all of a sudden we come up against something that we don't we're like man I don't know what to do with this it's good to recognize that the people that were closest to Jesus had to put the pieces of the puzzle together a little bit to figure out Jesus to figure out what it would mean to follow Jesus and here we are we're, we're this it's the week after Easter and I thought it would be good to kind of talk about okay so what this is a good question for us to, to ask from time to time. Okay, yeah, great. Easter happened. Jesus died and rose from the dead. So what? Or even like, now what? Like, what do we do now? <laughs> and, and it's interesting um, because you can say, cool, Jesus rose from the dead, but, but now what? Like, like cool, Jesus died for my sins, but okay, what does that mean? Where do we go from here? And in a sense... It could be interesting to ask the question, okay, Easter is important. It's good to remember that Jesus rose from the dead, if that's, if that's a true statement, that it would be good to celebrate, right? But what, you know, like now what, in the, the week after Easter, why come to church? It's a good thing for the, the, the church to answer everyone once in a while, and church leaders to answer. Why do we do this? Why don't we just have church on Christmas and Easter? A lot of people seem to, to only come on Christmas and Easter, why don't we just do it then and call it a day and go do our thing? Why go through all the hoopla, in a sense? And the, I kind of want to put the puzzle pieces together around that question today because I think this, that question of, like, why do we do this? Why do we meet every week? Why do we go through all the, the, the trouble of being together? Why, why did you wake up early this morning? And some of you are like, yeah, why did I? Why am I not in my PJs right now? Because this question is, is probably louder in our culture than it's ever been since the pandemic. Something huge happened. I mean, I remember when the, the pandemic happened, and a lot of churches, ourselves included, put, started putting content online. And I remember talking to a pastor here in town, and he's like, Josh, aren't you afraid? Like, he's like, we're only a couple weeks into this, and he had some pretty good foresight. He's like, he's like what do you think is going to happen when this is all said and done, whenever that is, you know, like it was just this ominous, we're not quite sure when things when will even be legally able to gather again. And once we do, will people remember to go to church was basically his premise. Will people, will people want to go to church? And especially, it was especially relevant because we're all of the, us as churches, we're putting things online. And it's like, man, what if people get used to doing church in their PJs? Will they come back? You know, it's an interesting question that, that us as church leaders 
have wrestled with and kind of, you know, like, okay, now what? <laughs> There's a little bit of now what for us as church leaders. Like, okay, what if, what if people adjust to that as the new normal? And in a sense, if they do adjust to that as the new normal, why, is that a bad thing? Is church just simply about content? In, in other words, like, 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 is church just a TED Talk that I can partake with and just come and watch online and get my dose for the day and then go on with my day? Why, why does the church matter? And today, in order to tackle that question, I want to kick it old school. And some of you know what that means. A, a year ago, we did a series called Old School where we looked at the timeless truths of Christian faith. We looked at like all sorts of theology was starting with, was, is there a God? In fact, you should go back and listen to those online or uh, on our Vimeo, um, um, our Vimeo channel. Because it, honestly, it was, it was really fun to unpack. Like, okay, let's start. Is there a God? And, and we looked at monotheism. We looked at polytheism. We looked at different religions. But it, and, and we looked at all sorts of, you know, we looked at the Trinity. We looked at the, you know, Jesus as the Son of God and, and fully God, fully man, all of those things. Today, in order to answer the question, why does the church matter, I want us to kick it old school and, 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 and look, and you've got a worksheet, so everybody should have a worksheet. In fact, um, where's Roy? Roy, can you, yeah, Roy, can you go pass those out right there? Roy's always a good sport. That's why I was looking for him. It, it's, it, raise your hand if you don't have a worksheet and if you need a pen. Uh, yeah, and we'll, can somebody else, Tom, can you help them do that as well? So you had a worksheet today. So today's old school. Just but kids, look at me. This is not school. I'm not your teacher, and this there's not going to be a quiz. So you're you're good. But it, I would I do want to look at these things, and we're going to work through this worksheet, and we're going to look at a couple terms. We're going to look at a bunch of verses, and in a sense, we're going to put the puzzle pieces together around this idea of church. What is it? Why do we do it? And why does it matter? Okay, so once everybody gets their worksheets and their pens and pencils, we'll get started. So to start, actually, I need a worksheet too. <laughs> Let's start there. Our $5 word for the day is ecclesiology. What's biology? The study of life, bio, so bio is a Greek word meaning life. What's theology? The study of God. Theo is the Greek word for God, not the guy from the Huxtables and the, but he is, but that's the differentology. And then um, ecclesiology is the study of the church. It comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which we will dive into here in a couple minutes. And what I want to do, I want to start here on your worksheet. There's a few verses here that I want to dive right into. Again, the, these are the pieces to the puzzle around the idea of church. These are from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are things that Jesus said that I guarantee, we talked about this last week, I guarantee when he said them, they were like, whew, just went right over their heads. When he said them, when he said these, almost every single one of these passages we're about to read make more sense to us than they did to them when they were hearing them. Okay? Starting with this, Jesus said this. John 16, verse 7. 
But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now here's the piece of the puzzle I want us to see here. Jesus is he's talking to his disciples. It's literally kind of one of those like one-on-ones. It's just us. It's him and his guys. And he's, he's, said, he's been telling them, I'm going to go away. And they're like, why would you do that? We've only been following you for a couple of years. You're doing incredible things. Let's keep this going. But he kept pushing. No, I, I'm not going to be here forever. And the point is, you see the point underneath that verse there? The plan will, never included Jesus sticking around as a dude forevermore. Write down dude. He would say things like this. And again, it was lost on them. He said, but very truly, this word basically in Greek, it says, amen, amen. Jesus said, but amen, amen. When we say amen at the end of a prayer, we're basically saying true. This is true, verily. This is, this, is, this is very true. So he said it twice. Double, it's doubly true. He's like, this is doubly true what I'm about to tell you. It is, good, it is for your good that I am going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate, meaning the Holy Spirit or the counselor, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I, did, I went to my first track meet this week. Middle school track meet. I, I can't believe I've gone this long without going to track meet. I've gone to like every other school event, but I'd never been to a track meet. My 13-year-old was running, and it was a relay race. And then she, she had the baton, and she handed the baton to the next runner, right? That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. He's like, I'm leaving. I'm running my race, but I'm going to hand the baton to the Holy Spirit, another member of the Trinity. We won't get into that today. God, 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 the Spirit will come. And you, he's like, it's for your benefit that this will happen. This is a good thing. And we'll find out why here in a second. So he hand, you know, he's saying, I'm not going to be here forever. So that was one puzzle piece that they had. They, the, 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 I'm not going to be here. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be here forever. And that's a good thing. It's okay. Go to the next one. John 14, 12. Again, he says very, very truly, amen, amen, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Remember, they've been watching him heal people, feed people, walk on water, raise the dead. You know, like, like tons of, of crazy, like everywhere he went, he brought powerful things to people. The, the, everywhere he went, the, 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 wherever he went got better became a better place because he was there. And he says this, truly, I tell you, amen, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. You will, you will continue. If you, if, if you believe in me, you will continue. Every room you go into will be a better room because you're there. In fact, I'll go further, he says, they will go and even greater thing, they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Remember, I'm leaving, guys. But it's okay because you're going to do greater things. And we're like, how in the world could we possibly do greater things than this man, Jesus? Jesus has been doing, you know, like he does great things. And, and, and the point is this. I want to do great things through you. I want to do great things through you. And in that parentheses, I want you to put plural. 
See, the English language serves us wrong sometimes. We're tempted to read the Bible when it says you. It's, oh, you're talking to me. And it's like, no, you plural. We don't have, we don't have, we have y'all. Which doesn't sound right to us here in Colorado. Right? But he's, what he's saying here is he, I want, Jesus is saying, I want to do great things through you, y'all. Collectively, us. It's not just you, Vicki Bennett. It's, it's all of us. It's not just you, Rebecca. It's, it's, it's all of us. He wants to use all of us and do great things through you. Very tell, truly, I tell you, if you believe in me, well, you're going to do greater things than I did. And again, that's not just like, that doesn't mean that you or us will, will go and heal people. We'll go. It's saying the collective movement of people will do more powerful things than, than what, what Christ as one man, fully God, did on earth while he was there. Okay, keep, let's keep moving. Matthew 16, 17, and 18. Jesus replied. Oh, I got to get background to this one. I'm sorry. So, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples one day. And this is really interesting. He was hanging out with his disciples in an area that was outside of the nation of Israel. This is important. You'll, you'll see why in a second. He's hanging out in this kind of this foreign city. And he, they're talking, and, and Jesus is like, hey, I have a question for you guys. What are people saying about me? Now, just pause for a second. This is a question you should never ask. Just don't ask this question. It'll come across way wrong. Only Jesus could pull off a question like this because people are actually talking about the, him. They're not actually talking about you, so, like, don't ask this question. But Jesus asked, hey, what are people saying about me? And, and the disciples, the response was like, yeah, it's kind of weird. Some are saying, like, you're an old prophet, like Elijah or, you know, like Jeremiah, like one of the, one of the prophets of old. Like, and they've been dead for hundreds of years. And, and, and what they're saying is, like, there's a lot of mystery around you, Jesus. We don't know. No one really understands. They know you're powerful. So they're wondering if you're, like, a resurrected prophet coming back to, you know, do cool things. He's like, yeah, that's interesting. What do you guys say about me? And Peter, Johnny on the spot, pipes up, and he, he says, I believe that you are the Messiah. And in Greek, he uses the word Christos, or Christ. And maybe, maybe, maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't. Jesus Christ, that's his name. His first name is Jesus. His, second, his last name is not Christ. It's really Jesus the Christ, or Jesus the Messiah. Christ is the, the Greek word of the Hebrew word Messiah. He's like, I believe that you are the Christ, Son of the living God. And, and Jesus' reply is this, Matthew 16, and seven, verses 17 and 18. Jesus replies, Blessed are you, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, so, so basically he's, he's affirming this. Yes, what you say is true. Yeah, I know probably you guys were thinking about it. And this is the first time this has actually been uttered in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Matthew. No one, people, everybody had thought it. No one had said it yet. And Peter blurted it out. He says, I believe it's true. People, you know, there's been whispers about it, rumors. I'm going to make a statement and believe, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you are the Messiah sent from God to come and save us. And he says, you're right. And this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on the, and what's interesting is, is actually 
Peter's real name was Simon. And Jesus is renaming him to Peter, or the, the Greek word Petra, which is where we get the word rock or stone, but more better translated stone. So watch this play on words. Again, it's lost on us in English. But I tell you that you are stone or stony, but on this rock, meaning not you, Peter, because you're just a stone, but on the rock of what you just said, the rock of the statement you just said, I will build my church. And if there's any word that I could take, like if I, if I let's say I just had the power to do this, if I could like take, this is really dangerous what I'm about to say, but you'll understand where I'm going to go with this. If I could change the Bible, and by the Bible I mean your modern English translation, not change what was written, not change what it was said, but change how it's been translated. If I could change any word in the Bible, it would be this one. Because when I say the word church, you automatically think something. If you went out, we went to King Supers right now, and you know, talk to people who are shopping and people who are presumably not in church, and you ask them, hey, what, what do you picture when you think of the word church? Whatever they would say, a building, an event, a group of people, a religious institution, you know, like all, whatever they would say, and really, frankly, I'm not picking on them because it's the same, the same would be true with us. When we think of church, I grew up with this little thing. It's like, it went like this. Does anybody remember this? How'd it go? Here's the church, there's the steeple, open inside, and there's the people. Really dumb. Like, like, like not theologically correct. Because when we think of church, we think of something. And a lot of us, frankly, we think, oh, we'll meet at church. At that location. You know, we'll have, we'll, well, let's go to church. Let's go to church. Let's go to the 9 o'clock church service. That's what church is. What's, what's, what I'm trying to get at here is when, when Jesus said this word, church, they didn't think of any of that. In fact, this is one of the things that probably went right over their heads. This was a puzzle piece that they would be like, that was interesting. That was an interesting interaction that Peter had. We've often wondered if he was the Messiah. It was really interesting to hear him say that he is the Messiah. And then he said, what did he say? What did he say, John? John, it was, what is that word he used? He, he used that word, ekklesia. That's the word I would actually like to, I would like to have the Greek word just ekklesia be in there. Because it's a better word, because it's, a, it's a word that would help us, uh, like, like, like envision a little, well, it wouldn't help us. But y- you see my point. The point is, ekklesia meant this. An assembly or gathering of citizens for a common cause. They, this was, this is a, a, this wasn't a new word like ekle what? They didn't, they, this is a word that they would be, have used in their vocabulary, not in a religious sense, probably more in a political or civil or civic sense. Roman, there was Roman ecclesias. There were Roman gatherings of people. Like, you, you, you remember studying like the Roman uh, Roman history, and it's like, like they were very, they, there was a lot of government, there was a lot of order, there was structure, they, they studied, they thought, they, they had, there was philosophers, there was philosophies on how to govern. The people that would gather together to, to do this would be called an ecclesia, 
a gathering of people, hey, let's talk about how to run our town. Hey, let's talk about, let's get together, a group of people of like-minded people who want to see our, our, our region be good, or you know, what do we need for taxes, or whatever. That was an ecclesia. It was a group or assembly of a gathering people, citizens, usually Roman citizens, for a common cause. And Jesus is like, I'll take that word. You know, we, yes, we got temple, we have synagogues, we have all of these religious words, but I'm going to take this one, and this one's going to become mine. And on that, like, like, and, and on that word, on this idea, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. His point here, the last part of that page, his plan is called Operation Ecclesia. And spoiler alert, it works. He's like, here's the plan. It's going to be called Ecclesia. I know you have no clue what that means. But the gates of hell, evil, death, sin, will not prevail against my Ecclesia. Okay? Now hold on. Just keep holding on to that piece of the puzzle. Go to the next page. He's died, he's rose again. We, we referenced this passage last week. And I said that I, when I read this passage, this is called the Great Commission. If you grew up in church, you, you remember it. And I always, it, it, usually it starts on verse 18. And I want to start in verse 16 because there's an important part. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. He's, he's appeared to them. This is maybe like 40 days after the resurrection. He's been, been appearing to them at different times to different people. Paul says that at one point in time, he appeared to over 500 people at once. But now it's a smaller gathering, and, and, and they can feel that this is the end, that this is, this is the end of time. And it says, this is interesting, when they saw him, they worshiped him there, but some doubted. Again, there's room for doubt at the table of faith. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Stop. Especially if you've grown up in church, okay? Like this is, you're like, yeah, I know, I know this verse. Just this phrase. Think about the, the, the gravity of this phrase. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. That's a lot of authority. It's all. He, he has all authority. He can do whatever he wants. He can say whatever he wants. What he, whatever he says to make true would, it would come true. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He's the risen Lord. And think, of, think of the gravity of that situation and, and that, that statement. And now think of what he's about to say next. Therefore, you go. All authority, I have all authority. I, it, like literally, he's been buzzing around. He's been like just appearing places, like walking through walls, just like all of a sudden they're eating and they're like, oh, Jesus Christ. You know, like it's just like, he, it, they're, they're like, he's, he's just, appear, he's powerful. He's, he's, he's like a ghost, but you can touch him. He can go wherever he wants. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. And he, said, he looks his disciples in the eye and he says, therefore, I want you to go. 
I want you to go and do what? And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a, a Trinity passage. And teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely, just, I know, I know this is weird. I know that I have the authority and you feel pretty powerless. You're like, uh, what do we do? But I want you to know this, but surely I will be with you as you do this. Always. To the very end of the age. He promises. He promises to be with us through this. And the point is, God's plan A, the, 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 the implications of this passage is, write it down, God's plan A for bringing the message of redemption to the world is through the church. It's inescapable. He said it on that, 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 on that mountain uh, that, that he built his church a year before he died, he died, he rose again, he, he, he appeared to his disciples, and he said, I want to sit. You know, not you know, like, okay, the now what? Okay, so what? Jesus died from, for my sins. He rose from the dead. Okay, so what? Now what do we do? And, he's, and, and he gives us something. He gives his disciples something to do, which they did. They went, and they, they went from being very scared to very, very bold men and women. That went, I mean, they turned the world upside down in a matter of decades. In, in the first couple hundred years, that, that, that whole area of Europe and Middle East and North Africa, maybe even all the way to India, everybody, by, within a couple hundred years, everybody knew about Jesus Christ in that area. Because a couple, a handful of disciples took this seriously and said, all right, he's making an ecclesia. He's starting a gathering of people with, that are like-minded for a cause. And he's sending us out to tell them about him as the risen Lord. And they turned the world upside down. And this is what I, I think this is the main point. This is what I just, I want, this is what I want it to, like, if I could just, like, implant this into your brain, this idea that God's plan A for the world to bring a message of redemption. We're not bringing redemption. We're just bringing the message of it to the world. Is you and me. He has all authority in, in heaven and earth. He could appear to anyone, and he does. But his favorite method right now in this current phase, this age we could call the, the age of the church, is that you and I would live a life in such a way We'd go to school, we'd go to work, we'd be people that are part of our community, we'd drive cars and we'd pay taxes, but we would do it in such a way, we would do it with such embodying such love for the people around us that it brings this message of redemption to everybody we meet. Here's what redemption means. Redemption is the act Acting, action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. It's the action of, of saving, of, of being saved from sin, error, or evil. Sin that, that, that destroys our relationships with one another. 
It, uh, it destroys our relationship with a perfect God. Let's be honest, guys. It destroys our relationship with ourselves, the things that we do that we wish we didn't do. And God is offering us redemption. He's offering us to save us from that. Hey, are you sick of that? Then let's leave that behind. Put, put that at the foot of the cross and let's move forward. Let's be forgiven. And let's receive redemption. Here's another way of looking at redemption. Redemption is actually a term that was used in the marketplace. Like to redeem a coupon, we actually do say that. I have this coupon, I'd like to redeem. Well, actually, I don't, does anybody, we've heard that, okay? But this idea, there's this transaction, this the action of regaining or gaining possession of something that once was yours that you lost. I love, I love this imagery. It's the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for a payment or clearing of a debt. Like you have this huge debt. Jesus told this, this parable about a guy who had this, this exorbitant debt. If you, do the, 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 if you do the calculations of what this meant, it would be lifetimes of, of indentured servitude to pay back this debt. He would never be able to pay it back. And the guy's like, the guy who he owed the debt to cleared it. And then he just went and didn't really pay attention, you know, like didn't, didn't, took it for granted. But that's what redemption is, is like, but in the sense that, that that guy was like, I'm, 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 I'm buying you out <laughs> of your debt. Whatever you owe, I'm, I'm clearing that. That's what redemption is. And that's what we get to bring to people around us. And frankly, if the church is being the church, again, I don't know what you think of when you think of the word church, but do you think of this? Is it a group of people gathered for the common cause of, of, of bringing worship to God because they've been redeemed and then going out and bringing that message of redemption to others? Like, hey, you too can be saved. You too can be saved. You too can be right with God. You too can be right with other people around you. You can be right with yourself. You can be redeemed. And that's what the church does and putting, see, these are the pieces to the puzzle. The apostles, they, they, they remembered all of this. You can see how they recorded it in the, 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 the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're like, you remember when he said that? Yeah, I remember. I wrote that down. And then after, even before they wrote it down, they, you have to understand, for the, the decades that followed Jesus, this is incredible. Here, here's, here's, what, here's why this is important. Like the idea of church, we need to change our idea of church, is they didn't have a building. If you think of church as a building, that literally Christianity didn't have real estate for at least 300 years. 300 years. That's longer than we've been a, a country, right? Longer than we've been a country. The first 300 years, the, the, they didn't have a lease and they didn't own a building. Pray, mainly because it was illegal most of those 300 years to be a Christian. You could die for it, for being a Christian. And it grew. They didn't have a Bible like we have a Bible. They didn't have the New Testament. They had the Old Testament, and that was important to them, the scriptures, right? They, and they would read those, and they would read, and, like, and, and they would read it with a new lens, with these puzzle pieces of who Jesus was as the Messiah. And they're like, oh my gosh, that, that stuff in Isaiah, that's pretty, that, that's, that's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus taught. That's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. 
And then they'd start writing letters, and some of those letters would get circulated around, like, oh, you have that letter from Paul? That, 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 that one from Corinthians? And, and the one from Corinthians would end up, you know, in a different part of North Africa or wherever because it was important. But they didn't, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a building. What'd they have? They had a call. They had a commission. They knew, they, they believed in a risen Lord that changed their lives, that, that came into their lives and changed everything. And they, they loved each other. In the first, as they're putting the pieces together, you, you see this in the book of Acts, they just love being together. They're just gathered together in people's homes, eating, drinking. Yeah, and, then, and, and, and it was then that the sermon was born. And, and the years to come is like somebody would like look at scriptures and see what I found today and I'll share that with you, much like what I'm doing today. Oh my gosh, you know, like whatever I'm geeking out on is, is what I bring before you. Whatever, whatever came to my heart is I pray, literally, I prayed for every single one of you by name this week. Whatever came to my heart, that's what I want to share with you. That's what they started doing. And yes, they even started singing songs. They started singing, there's, there's hymns that we find in the, in, mainly in Paul's writings that we think are old hymns that were maybe sung like the, within a couple years or even a decade or two after Christ. And they, they didn't start doing church. They just were the church. They just was the church. <laughs> and it was beautiful. And it changed the world. The church matters. And we have a chance in this day and age to, to do, to, to, it's, it's really, it's our turn. The reason we're even here today is because they went and made disciples, who went and made disciples, who went and made disciples. And it just keeps going. And that's, it's our turn. The baton is being handed to us to not do church, but be the church. That's good ecclesiology, which is why we do scatter church. The last Sunday of every month, in the warm months, we go and we serve. We, 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 we take church outside because this isn't church. We want to change that, that, that idea, which is why we've taken on the cause a couple years ago of fighting modern slavery. We, it was through prayer. The elders at the time, we were just like, let's, let's, as we start serving more and as we start thinking globally, like what are some of the global things happening globally? And we just could not shake the idea there's more slaves today than there ever have been. I didn't know that until four or five years ago. And so we've decided even, it's, it's not a huge amount of effort, but with our efforts, what's cool is we're rich, <laughs> and the dollar around the globe goes a long way. That one dollar that you can send around goes a long way, so we actually can do more than we feel like we're doing. To fight modern slavery, we partner with organizations that do that. And then most of all, you guys know, the reason we exist as a church is to put the bottom rungs on the ladder for people in this town right here. Who, when they think of church, they don't think of what we're talking about this morning. They think of headlines. They think of the horrible things the church has done over the years. Scandals, pastors running away with things, priests doing bad things to, to kids. That's what they think of when they think of church. And you and I get a chance to step into being the ecclesia. And one of the most exciting things I think we get to do 
is change people's minds on what church could and should be. But only if we be the church. And here's the thing. I was thinking about it this week. In light of, of, of the shift we've seen with COVID and, and the idea of, of church being church, church over the years. And this is as much a, another pastor I was talking with shortly after the pandemic. The same issue we're talking about. And he's like, it's really our own fault as church leaders. Because we basically boiled down church into content. And when church becomes synonymous with content and just like, hey, what can I get? It becomes about entertainment. And I was thinking about this week, going to church should feel less like watching a game. And I was going to say, and more like going to the stadium, but that's not even, it actually cuts it out. It should feel less like watching a game on TV and more like going out for a sport. <laughs> you know, if you go out for a sport, I, I, I have to confess, I was really lazy in high school. I probably could have played sports, but I'd go out for them and I'd be like, this hurts. Why am I doing this? I don't have to do this. And I go home and I quit. And here's the reason why going to church is so hard. And we just talked about this. We were just talking about this yesterday. Guys, I want you to know when my alarm goes off at 6 a.m. on Sunday mornings, I don't want to go to church. I want you to feel comfort by that. Like, like if, you, if you feel that way, if you woke up this morning and you're like, I don't want to go to church, that's, that's pretty normal. And here's the reason why. Because if we're doing church right, it should feel like we're going out for a sport. It should challenge us. It should stretch us. It should make, and not just, not like a solo sport, like a team sport. It should make us work together. It should make us, it should force us into community. It should be less about entertainment. And here's what happened in, in, within the Christian world in, in the United States right now is really what church is about is, oh, I, I, get a, I don't get a lot out of that music. Or I really like that sermon. I learned a lot. It's about personal growth, which is important but is not the entirety of church. Jesus didn't say, there, you know, what you say is right, Peter. Therefore, go, buy a building, sing three songs, preach a sermon that, that teaches people about the Bible, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Actually, I think the gates of Hades will prevail against that model if it doesn't change. But we get a chance to change it. And we get a chance to, to do church together. And, and what's interesting is C.S. Lewis, I was looking at C, what, what C.S. Lewis had to say about the church this week, and he actually wrestled with it. C.S. Lewis was a, a scholar that basically came to, to Christ late in life. I forget how old he was. Does anybody remember how old he was? Maybe, maybe 50s, 40s or 50s. Very intelligent, resisted Christianity for a while, thought it was a crock. There's a great quote of that he's like, Christianity is basically full of it. And then he became one decades later. But he's like, he, 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 was, he wrestled with this idea of church because it, he's, he, he went to church and he didn't see the movement, but he stuck with it. And he talked about the importance of church protecting us from what he called solitary conceit. Solitary conceit. And what he's speaking to is the ability that you and I, let's be honest, the, the, the very talented ability you and I have to deceive ourselves when we're all alone and say, this is how the world is. This is what I believe. This is what's right about God. This is what, what's right about others. Screw them. 
and this is what's right about myself, and whether that's true or not. And it, we, we create an echo chamber to, by ourselves, solitary conceit. Church keeps us away from that. And it keeps us from, uh, from uh, doing to, uh, and it, a good church won't leave you alone. It will try to get into your life. Hey, how are you doing? Can we meet? Can we get together? Can you, will you get involved? Will you be a part of what, was, what God is doing here? And, and, and that's what will keep us from church is it won't leave us alone. <laughs> Which is, I was thinking about this word alone. It, the word alone is, is both exactly what we want in the moment, but ultimately what we don't want in life. It's, it's ultimately what we're terrified of. Do you, you read me? We're, we're, in most moments, we're like, hey, I just want to be alone. I just want to be able to do what I want to do. But the road of alone means that at the end of our lives, we are what? <laughs> alone, which is ultimately what we're, ex- we're terrified. Is it that one of our greatest fears that we get to enter our lives and our spouse dies before we do and nobody's around and nobody cares and our life doesn't mean th- anything? Isn't that, that's like, ugh. And God's trying to to keep us from that. Going to church should feel less like watching a game and more like going out for a team sport. I want you guys to know, and then I'll close with this basically. There's a group of us that are meeting and and asking the question, okay, now in this post-COVID world, what does church look like? And it's not like, what do we think church should look like? We're we're on our knees praying and God's saying, God, would you refresh and renew our vision of what church could and should be. And as we lead, would it, would, it, would, it, would it glorify you? Would it reflect what you set out and what you said, these pieces to the puzzle that you gave us 2,000 years ago? Would you help us put those together? And when, when the church comes together, would it make this beautiful picture as we bring, or as we come together? Would we be a a beautiful picture and reflection of what your redeeming love looks like to a broken world? I love old school. You can tell I'm a geek for this kind of stuff. Not because it's interesting, not because it's cool, but because it has the the, the ability to change our town. It has the ability to change our lives, to bring us back to what God, and bring us back into the life that God intended us to live. And it start, it, I, I believe that God's plan for that message starts here. Do you believe that? And if so, will you join us as we, as we tap you on the shoulder, as you go out for this sport called church? And, and I'll be honest with you, you can go to, there's a lot of other churches you can go to and you'll just blend in and nothing will ever be asked of you and it'll be comfortable. And maybe there's, there's maybe you're in a season where you need that. But if you're here, we're going to be a church that moves. And I hope that there's something in you that's, that's stirring in you right now. You're like, I'm in. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy. Because I I didn't understand this for so long. It took me forever to figure this out, to put these pieces of the puzzle together. 
And I pray for my friends here as they put the pieces of the puzzle of their lives together. I pray that you're not just a part of it. You're the picture that they find. And they find meaning in, in, in you, in your word, in your church. And then as they come together, that, that we as a church would be the type of place that as they come together, we move in mighty ways and we do things that love our town. We do things that bring worship and glory to your name because you're, you're worth it. You're due our worship. Would you guide us? Would you lead us? Would you make us mighty? Would you give us courage? We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.